Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we're studying this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. Each Sunday I'm going chapter by chapter to help you learn the teachings of the Buddha and develop a really nice foundation to be able to make your way to enlightenment on the path to enlightenment using the teachings of the Buddha. Well, today we're in chapter 11, which is titled Meditation, Developing Your Practice. This is an essential ability and skill that you need to develop in order to make your way to enlightenment. You wouldn't be able to meditate your way to enlightenment. You need other things besides meditation, but you also wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation either. So you're going to need a well-developed meditation practice. So here in chapter 11, I share with you the four different types of meditation that are taught in order to help you be able to make your way to the enlightened mental state. So I'm going to be sharing each of those four with you, and I'm going to be using the words of the Buddha throughout our class today to help you be able to see what he actually taught about meditation in a summary form. And then there's other books that I share besides this one that'll take you much deeper into the teachings of the Buddha on meditation. But what I share here in volume one and in this particular class in chapter 11 is going to really help you to start to develop your meditation practice to be able to make your way closer and closer to enlightenment where the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. As we go through our class today, you're welcome to ask any and all questions that you like. You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions that you like. I'm going to use some visual aids to help me to share the teachings with you today. These are slides that I'm going to be using just to help you to be able to learn what it is that I'm sharing with you. So the first thing to start to talk about in terms of helping you get well established and developing your practice of meditation is to start with some meditation basics. Here at the beginning of the chapter and then here at the beginning of the class, share with you a definition of meditation. This is helpful so that you understand that when I use the word meditation, what am I actually referring to? Because not everybody in the world would define meditation in exactly the same way. So I'm going to share with you here how I define meditation so that when I talk about meditation, you'll know what I'm talking about. Here, the way that I define meditation in the book and in our classes is that meditation is a technique to actively train the mind during dedicated, independent, purposeful training sessions to eliminate unwholesome qualities of the mind and or cultivate wholesome qualities of the mind in the positions of seated, lying, standing, or walking. So it's a dedicated, active, purposeful training session where you're eliminating certain unwholesome qualities and cultivating certain wholesome qualities. And you're in the positions of seated, lying, standing, or walking. And as I talk about each of the four types of meditation today, 
I'm going to help you to understand what are the unwholesome qualities that you're eliminating from the mind and what are the wholesome qualities that you're developing because you're going to need that in order to train your mind in day-to-day -day life. And what the Buddha discovered is these 10 individual pollutions in the mind and he discovered the tools and techniques of how to eliminate them from the mind. So meditation is helping you to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities and cultivate certain wholesome qualities that you're going to need in your journey to enlightenment. And you're doing this either in the seated, lying, standing, or walking positions. And I'm going to share each of these four positions with you and how I actually use them and then encourage you to not believe what I'm sharing, but instead to learn it, reflect on it, to independently verify it, and then practice it so that you can see the truth for yourself. Just as much as it's important to understand what meditation is, it's also important to understand what meditation isn't. Meditation isn't exercising, walking the dog, gardening, driving, or other things like this. Now you may do these things and they may be helpful for you in life and this may be something that you find beneficial, but it's important that you understand that these aren't meditation. Someone might say, I'm going to go walk the dog and meditate, or I'm going to go do some gardening and meditate, or I'm going to go for a drive and do some meditation. If you thought that those things were meditation, and as I taught you today in the class, if you only did those things like exercising, walking the dog, and thought you were meditating, then you wouldn't be actually able to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities and cultivate certain wholesome qualities that the Buddha shared in order to help you to get to enlightenment. So while you may do these things and find them very beneficial for your life, it's important that you don't see them as meditation. Even though other people might be referring to it as meditation, it's helpful for you to understand what meditation is, which is this dedicated, independent, purposeful training session, eliminating certain unwholesome qualities and cultivating certain wholesome qualities. And there's these four positions that we do it in, which is seated, lying, standing, or walking. As part of understanding the basics of meditation, it's helpful to understand that you're going to need a meditation teacher. It's helpful for you to have this individual to be able to reach out to and get help as you need help. Whether you consider me your teacher or not, that's up to you, but you're going to need some teacher in order to reach out to and get help. If you were just watching YouTube videos or reading books or things like this, maybe listening to podcasts or using a phone app and you didn't have somebody to reach out to in order to get help as you were training your mind, this could be very detrimental to your progress on the path to enlightenment because it's only a Buddha who would be able to get to enlightenment by themselves. One of the criteria that a Buddha meets is that they can independently make their way to enlightenment without the help of any teachers or any guides. That's the first criteria of what makes a Buddha a Buddha. And then they're going to share their independently discovered teachings with countless people for the rest of their life, helping countless people get to enlightenment during that period of time from the time they get to enlightenment until they die. And then they're going to preserve their teachings in such a way that countless more people can get to enlightenment after their death. So a Buddha, which is very rare in the world, the last one existed over 2,500 years ago, they're going to be able to get to enlightenment by themselves. But everybody else is going to need teachers and guides because you're going to encounter certain things in your meditation that you're going to need to reach out to somebody, a real live person, not a book or a YouTube video or a podcast. You can't ask questions necessarily to those kinds of situations. So you're going to need to be able to reach out to somebody who you can ask questions to and if what you get back from your teacher is oh that's normal you know keep going that can give you some confidence to know that you're headed in the right direction 
There's been situations where students have tried to meditate on their own and awaken their mind to enlightenment on their own, and they run into all kinds of problems. These aren't people who are learning with me, of course, but these people were first trying to meditate on their own without any guidance. And there's one particular case that I sometimes share with students that there was this individual who was trying to meditate on their own for about two years or so. They worked themselves into a lot of difficulties and a lot of problems. This individual was a doctor. They were a practicing doctor. And they ended up getting to a point where they were highly depressed. They were sleeping 23 hours a day. They weren't able to work any longer. They were having suicidal thoughts and things like this. And this is because for two years, they were trying to mix this book and this video and this podcast, and they were mixing and matching all these things without having any real guidance from a teacher. But eventually they got into such a difficult, challenging time that they reached out and they found a teacher. This individual that I'm talking about found me and I was able to help them. They came here to Thailand for a period of time. They went back to their home country. They eventually made their way out of those difficulties and problems. But for about four years or so, this person's life was very difficult and very challenging. They ultimately got back to work. They don't have any suicidal thoughts anymore. All of that stuff is eliminated. But for about four years, because they lacked the wisdom of understanding that they needed a teacher, life was very difficult and very much a struggle for them. So you can avoid all of that by having a teacher, somebody that you can reach out to. Not that you need to talk to that person every week or every day or anything like that but just have somebody that you have contact with that as you're experiencing different things in your meditation you can reach out and ask for help or guidance and as I mentioned if what you get back is that's normal you know keep going it can give you some confidence and reassurance that you're headed in the right direction so those things aren't going to happen to you if you have a teacher but I just share those things with you so that you can understand the real difficulties that the mind can experience if an individual doesn't have a teacher and this is why each individual who's not a Buddha is going to need a teacher or a guide. But a Buddha can do this work on their own and figure out how to make their way to enlightenment without the help of a teacher or a guide. And then in terms of the last thing referring to meditation basics is talking about the positions that you might need to acquire in order to meditate. You're going to need these four different styles of meditation in terms of these different positions. And I'm going to share with you what these four positions are and how you might use them. But again, remember, you don't believe me. You're not following me. You're learning from me as a student, but then you reflect on that and then you practice and see the truth for yourself of what works best for you. So I'll share with you these four different positions and how I use them. And then you decide for yourself as you're needing these different positions, how they work best for you. So the seated position for me and for many people is kind of like the go-to position for meditation. It's the primary position that you might be seated on the floor or a chair, maybe in a wheelchair or in a bench or something like this, where you would like to sit and have the body be in a comfortable seated position. If you're on the floor, that might mean you have some cushions under your rear. It might mean that you are sitting cross-leg with your legs lightly crossed because the more you get the hips up in the air, it lessens the angle at the hips, the knees, and the ankles and allows the circulation to flow. And then you might have your hands comfortably resting in your lap. This is a nice position with the upper body being erect. And then if you're sitting in a chair, you might have your feet flat on the floor or crossed at the ankles lightly. And once again, your hands and arms comfortably in your lap with your upper body nice and erect. 
these are very comfortable positions where you can access this whether you're at home whether you're at a park in a doctor's office whether you're waiting somewhere on a bench you could easily be doing some meditation in the seated position now sometimes in the seated position you might notice there's some pain and you should never just allow the pain to reside in the body because if you're just experiencing pain 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 then it's very challenging to eliminate those unwholesome qualities and cultivate the wholesome qualities because you can't really train the mind very well because the mind is just experiencing this pain so you might decide to use something like a lying position where you're lying flat on the floor face up and all the muscles in the body are completely relaxed. The arms are out to the side, the palms are up perhaps, and this helps the body to completely relax and there's no muscles engaged whatsoever. But as you're doing that, or you're actually doing the seated position, you might notice that the mind have a tendency to fall asleep. You might get kind of sleepy. And if you're noticing that, you might decide to switch to the standing position where you just stand up straight with your arms in front of you with the hand just lightly clasping the wrist. Or you might have your arms on the sides of the body just relaxing and down towards the floor. Or you might put the hands and arms behind the body and lightly clasp at the wrist. You know, it's not about everybody doing it exactly the same way. It's not about training the body. It's about putting the body in a comfortable position that you can then train the actual mind. So if you're doing standing position, this can keep the mind active and attentive during the meditation. And that's the same thing for walking as well. That if you're noticing in the seated or lying position that you're having a tendency to fall asleep, you might decide to move to the walking position, which will help the mind stay more active during the meditation. Walking position is also really helpful if you're noticing that the mind is overactive. That sometimes you go to a seated position and your mind is just bombarded with thoughts. You might decide to move to a walking position. So this walking position is really helpful if you're noticing that the mind is overactive or uptight and you would like to just kind of get the energy out and you can do a walking position. It's also helpful if you're sleepy or you're noticing that you're dozing off. So if at any point that you're getting ready to meditate and the last thing you're thinking about is being in a still position like seated or lying or standing and the mind is overactive, you can start with the walking or you can just move to walking. If you're in the seated, lying or standing position, you can just change positions and move to walking. Or you can just do walking as a standalone position as well. These are all options for you. You don't need to get into one particular pose and stay in that pose the entire time or that position the entire time. You can actually move from position to position. So you might start in seated and end up doing lying, right? Or you might start in lying and end up going to walking. Or you might just do one position all the way through. You can decide this in the present moment based on the condition of the mind and the condition of the body of what you would like to do. So let me see if you guys have any questions at all on these meditation basics before we move into studying more deeply about meditation itself. So if you have questions on anything I've shared so far, you can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions anywhere. So I'm gonna go ahead and move on to the next part of our class, which is helping you to understand how to start and conduct a meditation session. The first thing to keep in mind is that the mind is the boss and the body is the employee. I share this because it helps you to understand what you're trying to accomplish while you're in meditation, is you're looking for the body to be comfortable, not luxurious, 
and not painful. Because just like you need to go through the employee to get to the boss, you need to go through the body in order to get to the mind. So if you put the body in a painful position, or if the employee is painful, it's not going to take you to go see the boss. But also if the employees are luxurious or the body's luxurious, it's not going to take you to go see the boss. It's going to be complacent. So you would like to get to the point where the body is in a comfortable position, where it's not painful and it's not luxurious. So the body is the employee and the mind is the boss. And you'd like to go through the employee or you'd like to go through the body in order to get to the boss. That's what's going to help you to get access to the mind. Then, whenever you study the teachings of the Buddha around meditation, he will typically share that before you start meditating, to set up mindfulness in front of you. This is something that he's teaching in terms of helping you prepare for meditation and get into an actual meditation session. What mindfulness is, is awareness of the mind. Not everybody uses that word in the same way. So you might find other people using it in different ways, but the way that the Buddha used the word mindfulness is as awareness of mind. So you would like to set up some awareness of the mind before you ease into meditation. And I use chanting for this. This helps to kind of invigorate the mind, bring some attentiveness and alertness to the mind and some alertness to the breath so that you can be aware of the breath so that as you ease into meditation, you're getting benefit right from the very beginning of training your mind in meditation. Whereas if you just plop down into meditation, it might be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes before you're really experiencing any benefit. So if you set up mindfulness in front of you, where you have this awareness of the mind prior to easing into meditation, then you're able to experience more benefit as you're easing into meditation and actually conducting your meditation session. Then in terms of a time, frequency, and schedule, it's important to understand that you're not going to be able to meditate at exactly the same time every day. This isn't possible. So if you set up the plan of you're going to meditate every day at 8 a.m., that's the mind craving permanence. It's not going to be possible for you to meditate at exactly the same time every day. So the Buddha meditated three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. And he didn't have a timepiece in order to keep track of the time during his meditation or even what time it was when he started meditating. So he would meditate as these anchor points. And that's what I suggest for you as well, that you have these anchor points of about two or three meditations a day is what you would like to develop, where maybe in the morning, in the evening, you have somewhere there that you meditate. And that's gonna fluctuate based on what you have going on in your life. And then if you can get a midday meditation in, this would be wonderful, this would be ideal. So instead of having a real fixed, rigid schedule where you're kind of setting yourself up to fail to meditate at exactly the same time every day, this would actually not be possible. So if somebody tells you that, you know, there's a special time of day you have to meditate at 3.30 a.m. every morning, you have to wake up and meditate. This is actually impossible. You can't meditate every single day at 3.30. And there's no specific time during the day that is more beneficial for you to meditate than others. The mind doesn't know what time it is. So you need to just find these anchor points, kind of morning, evening and maybe a midday meditation, which is what the Buddha did as well. So if you build up to two or three meditation sessions per day for about 30 minutes or more, this is what you'd ultimately like to build up to. But it's going to take you time to be able to do that, where 
you might take six months, a year, even two years to build up to the point where you're meditating two or three times a day for 30 minutes or more. I know when I first started out, I could barely meditate for a minute or two. My mind was bombarded by so many thoughts. It was like hitting a brick wall. So it took time to gradually build up to longer and longer meditation sessions. So take your time, don't put pressure or expectations on yourself, but gradually build up to two or three sessions per day for 30 minutes or more. Then you might notice during your meditation that you become sleepy. This is common, particularly when you first start. The first three to six months, you can become very sleepy during meditation because more likely than not, your mind isn't really functioning optimally and you're not really getting very good quality sleep when you first get onto the path to enlightenment because your mind hasn't been sleeping very well. Now that you start training your mind, you might notice that as a tendency to sleep more or be interested to sleep and you'll notice better and better quality sleep as well. So you have a couple of options here that if you're noticing that you're sleepy during meditation, the first thing you could do is just maybe go to sleep because that's what the mind needs. Get some rest, maybe sleep for a little nap. And when you wake up, then you feel refreshed and you can meditate later. Or the other option is you could just change the positions like we talked about. You could switch to standing or walking, and this would allow you to continue to meditate and not have the sleepiness there. So you can make a decision for yourself in the moment. Is it best to go ahead and get some sleep or just change positions? Then you might notice during your meditation that you have certain physical sensations in the body, like an itch or something like that. If you're noticing any physical sensations in the body, if you can, you would like to avoid itching that. This is really good training for the mind, that you can notice that that itch will arise, it will change, and then it will fade away. This is a very common thing that you might notice in meditation. But as you're meditating, you might just have such a strong urge to itch that you need to itch after like five seconds or so. And if you have that, then go ahead and itch if you need to. But next time, just try to expand that for longer and longer periods of time, maybe eight seconds, 10 seconds, 12 seconds, all the way that you can get to the point where you notice the itch, but it doesn't affect the mind. That it notice that it arises, it changes, and it fades away, that it's impermanent. So you can do this in meditation where your mind is not obsessed with this itch and just have to hurry up and itch it. Instead, you can just reside peaceful and joyful in your meditation. Notice that it arises, it changes, and it fades away because that itch is impermanent. And then sometimes during your meditation, you might notice some visual stimulation. This is like different colors or different vivid things that you see in the eyes or it's actually happening in the brain because even though your eyes are closed during meditation you can still see and the reason why is because the eye is just a lens that brings in light sight is actually truly occurring inside the brain so with your eyes closed you can still see you can still have the images of things from the past, different memories that have come up, or you can have different colors like white or purple or green or different things like this. There's nothing special that you need to do other than to cut that off and bring the mind back to the breath, just like you're doing with breathing mindfulness meditation. Sometimes people get really caught up in these different visual stimulations, like the different colors, and they think that this is an indication that they're about to become wealthy, or they're going to get sick, or you know they should sell their house, or something like this. This isn't actually what's occurring. What's actually occurring is that as you're training the mind, there's an effect to the brain. The mind and the brain are two different things. 
The brain is the physical organ that is inside the physical body. The mind is intangible. It's non-physical. And as you're training the mind, there's an effect to the brain where the physical structures of the brain are changing. Doctors and researchers are seeing this occur when they're researching individuals who meditate. And as those physical structures of the brain are changing, you can experience various visual stimulation like white and green and purple and different memories and things like this. You might even get to the point where you can hear the structures of the brain changing inside the skull. So you might experience these kinds of things. You don't need to run out and go to a fortune teller and figure out what these things mean. You're not special. Many people experience these kinds of things. Just bring your mind back to the breath and just know that things are moving in the right direction because the physical structures of the brain are starting to change. And this is a very beneficial thing for an individual. Then lastly, on this particular topic of starting and conducting your meditation sessions, that some people are taught to meditate with external stimulus, maybe like a phone app or a special candle or incense or a special blanket or maybe beads or something like this or even music or things like this. If you're using those things now, like, okay, that's where you're at. But I suggest that you start stripping those things away out of your practice because you would like to strip that away and let go. Otherwise, the mind's going to cling to these things where you can only meditate if you have this special incense or this special phone app or this special candle or blanket or beads. You would like to train your mind to be unattached to any of these things and not to cling to any of these things where you're just practicing with the body, the mind, and the breath. These are the only three things that you actually need in order to meditate. And you will have these three things with you for the remaining time of this life. The body, the mind, and the breath. Those are the only three things that you need. And if you can strip your practice down to that point where all you need is the body, the mind, and the breath, then it doesn't matter where you are. You can meditate at any time, whether you're in a park, whether you're on a hike in the mountains, whether you're vacationing somewhere. You don't need to gather up all these things and have all these things with you because they're impermanent. You would like to develop this practice that can be life-sustaining and you can be practicing this long-term over the course of your life. So if you practice where you only need the body, the mind, and the breath, you can meditate anywhere at any time. So let me see if you guys have any questions here on anything that I've shared, and then we're gonna dive into some more details related to the teachings of the Buddha and studying with the original words of the Buddha. So you can put your questions into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions anywhere. So let's go ahead and start studying with the words of the Buddha so you can see what he taught, and then I will help you to understand each of these meditations. So here, this is a section of a discourse where the Buddha was teaching the ordained practitioners to develop four different types of meditations. Prior to this, he was talking about five things to develop your life practice in order to make your way to enlightenment. And then eventually he gets to this. He says, having based himself on these five things, meaning the five things he was talking about previously, the monk should develop further another four things. And this is where he explains in summary form each individual meditation. Number one, the perception of unattractiveness of the body should be developed to abandon lust. This is a meditation to eliminate sexual cravings. Two, loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. 
This is loving kindness meditation, which works to eliminate anger, hatred, ill will, and the lesser versions. Three, mindfulness of breathing or breathing mindfulness meditation should be developed to cut off thoughts. This is a form of meditation that's going to help you eliminate craving, desire, attachment, cultivating mindfulness and concentration. So we're going to be talking about that. And then this fourth one, the perception of impermanence should be developed to eradicate the conceit I am. When one perceives impermanence, the perception of non-self is stabilized. One who perceives non-self eradicates the conceit I am, which is nibbana or enlightenment in this very life. So these are the four styles of meditation that the Buddha taught. Since the lifetime of the Buddha, people have invented a whole host of different meditations. You can find 50, 100, 300 thousands of different meditations out there. But these aren't what the Buddha actually taught. And in some cases, these meditations are actually training the mind to do the very opposite thing that the Buddha taught. So if you're interested in getting to enlightenment based on the teachings of the Buddha and the path to enlightenment that he taught, you would like to have learned and be able to practice these four types of meditations. There's two styles of meditations that are the primary forms that everybody on the path to enlightenment will need, which is the breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. And then there's two other specialized meditations that you only need in unique situations. And by focusing only on these two styles of meditations, and then maybe these other two as you need them occasionally, you can get really deep into your meditation practice, understanding how to do these four types of meditations very well. Whereas if you were trying to learn 20, 30, 50 different meditations, your meditation practice would be so broad that you wouldn't have the depth. So what you're looking for is to understand the why of why you're actually meditating in this way. The Buddhist practice that he taught in terms of meditation and the entire path to enlightenment is a complete and perfect plan of how to move the mind to the enlightened mental state. These individual meditations are actually producing certain wholesome qualities in the mind and they're eliminating certain unwholesome qualities in the mind and it's based on these 10 fetters or these 10 pollutions or defilements or taints that he actually discovered. So these four meditations are being used for specific purposes and that's what I'm going to share with you next is that these are the four individual meditations and what you're actually eliminating and what you're cultivating as part of your meditation practice. And I put them in order because there's another discourse where the Buddha talks about the priority being breathing mindfulness meditation. And that's the best, most wholesome quality that you could actually produce and loving kindness meditation being the second. So when you're developing your meditation practice, you will normally develop breathing mindfulness meditation first for maybe about four to six weeks. You would like to develop that and work on that and get to the point where you're consistently meditating and you understand how to do that meditation. You haven't mastered it yet, but you're at least working in the direction of developing that practice and you've been doing it for four to six weeks. But then you would like to bring in the loving kindness meditation that will help you to further develop your practice. And these are developed and practiced in order to eliminate two of the three major problems that the Buddha discovered. If you think back to chapter eight, when I shared with you transforming the three poisons of craving, anger, and ignorance, these are the three high level pollutions that are in the mind or the taints or the defilements. So this first meditation of breathing mindfulness meditation is helping you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, which is that first poison or that first unwholesome root 
that first thing that is causing that unwholesome gamma. If you remember back to that chapter where I was teaching you about how to eliminate your unwholesome gamma, that unwholesome gamma is being produced by craving, desire, attachment, the mental longing and strong eagerness, the chasing after the objects of your affection. And then the loving kindness meditation is there to eliminate the anger, hatred, and ill will and all those lesser versions, which is also producing unwholesome gamma. And then with the breathing mindfulness meditation, you're cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind, as well as concentration, being able to focus on a single object or practice singleness of mind. These are the wholesome qualities that you're cultivating, the mindfulness and concentration. So when you're focused on the breath during the breathing mindfulness meditation and the mind moves off the breath, you're cutting that off and bringing the mind back to the breath. You're developing awareness of the mind to be aware that the mind has moved off the breath. And you're developing concentration for longer and longer periods of time to focus on the breath. And you're training the mind to have this discipline or this control where when the mind moves off the breath, you can bring it back. This is helping you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. And then with loving kindness meditation, when this anger, hatred, ill will, and those lesser versions like frustration, irritation, annoyance are arising, you can actually train your mind through meditation to cultivate loving kindness. Because when the mind has wrong view, you will tend to blame other people for the discontent feelings that you're experiencing. You might become bitter and harsh and hostile towards people. And when you're putting that out through your intention, speech, and actions, it's damaging your relationships. And because of this, you're experiencing unwholesome results or unwholesome gamma in your life, that you're experiencing other people being bitter and harsh and hostile to you, perhaps. So you would like to train your mind to not have that anger, that bitterness, that animosity, the resentfulness towards other beings. And this will help you to then improve your intentions, your speech, and your actions so that you can now make wise decisions to interact with people in wholesome ways so that you can experience wholesome results in all your relationships. You can get to the point where every single relationship that you have is healthy and wholesome, that there's no bitterness or animosity or hostility in any of the relationships that you have. But you'll need to transform your mind with this loving kindness meditation. So with craving, desire, attachment in the mind, if you get what you want, you'll get pleasant feelings like happiness, excitement, or elation. But then when you don't get what you want, you'll get angered and bitter and hostile. And now the mind will either push that person away, you'll become bitter and harsh and hostile towards them, or you might put your expectations on them, trying to control them. So these two meditations are helping you to eliminate those first two poisons or those first two unwholesome roots, which are craving and anger. And then it's helping you to arise the wholesome qualities of mindfulness and concentration and the loving kindness or this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. These are two meditations that anybody who's on the path to enlightenment, they're going to need to learn these and practice these because every unenlightened mind is going to have craving, anger, and ignorance. So that's why you need these two meditations. And because craving is what's causing the discontent feelings, that's why breathing mindfulness meditation is a real priority. When you knock down your cravings, your anger will naturally start to dissipate but you're gonna also need the loving kindness to go in there and actively break up that anger, hatred, ill will, and lesser versions so that now you can be more loving and kind in all your relationships. Then there's this meditation to eliminate sexual cravings. You might have 
certain amount of sexual cravings and you might be trying to diminish those or eliminate them 100%. And there's this meditation that I'm going to share with you to be able to help you to eliminate that from the mind. And then there's a meditation to realize non-self. This goes back to teachings that I shared with you guys on the three universal truths where you are learning about this universal truth of non-self and how that's the solution to a pollution that's in the mind called personal existence view. Personal existence view is where the mind falsely believes that this body or this mind is you and it's who you are. There's a certain self-image that the mind's holding on to and a certain self-identity that it's holding on to. And as long as you're clinging to this, thinking that this is who you are, your mind will experience discontentedness. So you'll need to get to the point where you realize non-self, that you realize that this body nor this mind is who you are, that these things are constantly changing. So if you spilled something on your clothing and you got embarrassed, this is because of personal existence view. Or if somebody complimented you and said you look beautiful or handsome and you got pleasant feelings, this is because of your personal existence view. But then when somebody diminished you and talked negatively about your appearance, you might have experienced anger or frustration. This is because of the mind's pollution of personal existence view. Or if you have a certain identity in the mind where the mind is thinking that, you know, I am American or I am a Buddhist teacher or I am this or I am that that I am that the Buddha was talking about. As long as the mind is doing that and clinging to your culture, your ethnicity, your job or occupation or anything like this, then as long as you're clinging to that, then your mind is going to now be shaken up when you hear agreeable or disagreeable things. So if you were ever looking in the mirror and you saw a gray hair or a wrinkle or a pimple or a mole, or you're losing your hair and you were shaken up by that, that's because of personal existence view. Or if you spilled something on your clothing and felt embarrassed, this is because of personal existence view. Or if you heard somebody talking about your nationality or your culture, your ethnicity or your job in a positive or negative way, this is the personal existence view that will cause the mind to experience painful feelings. Or if you were ever in a relationship and you identified with I am a boyfriend or I am a girlfriend or I am a husband or I am a wife and you identified with this as who you are, when the relationship was over, you might have felt like you had to hurry up and get back into another relationship because you were uncomfortable when you were single because you identified with this role of I am a boyfriend, I am a girlfriend, I'm a husband or I'm a wife and you felt uncomfortable. You felt like a part of you was gone when you weren't in that relationship. And the same thing can occur with something like a job or an occupation. If you're working in a particular job and you start identifying with this is who you are as a person, now if you lose the job or you retire or something, maybe you're injured and you can't do that work anymore, you might have felt like a part of you is missing or a part of you is gone. You don't even know who you are anymore. This is the personal existence view, that pollution that is in the mind causing the mind to experience discontentedness when there's this change or this impermanence because the mind's clinging, it's holding on, it's craving for this body or this mind to be permanently one particular way, but it can't. There's going to be this impermanence that's changing. So when you let go of personal existence view through realizing non-self, through training the mind in meditation and other teachings as well, then you can get to a point where 
your mind is liberated from that pollution. And now if you hear positive or negative things about your appearance or about your self-identity, like your culture, your sexual orientation, or any of these kind of things that the mind might be holding on to, you can reside peaceful and joyful because you understand that that's not you. That's not who you are. So these are the four types of meditations that you might need as you make your way to enlightenment. The first two, everyone's going to need those, breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. And then the other two are really introduced on a case-by-case basis. I'm going to explain all of these to you today in detail and then help you to understand how to practice them. So here's some words of the Buddha on meditation that will help you to start understanding a bit about this practice. This one phrase that he says, a pot without a stand is easy to tip over. This can really help you to understand what you need to do in order to develop your meditation practice. A pot without a stand is easy to tip over. So the pot is the mind. The stand is your meditation practice. So a mind without a meditation practice is easy to become discontent. A mind without a meditation practice is easy to tip over. A pot without a stand is easy to tip over. So when you are meditating, as you dedicate more and more time over the course of three months, six months, a year, you're developing your meditation practice. It's like your stand is becoming wider and wider and wider, and it's harder and harder to tip over this pot. If you're not meditating right now, or if you're just meditating occasionally, you kind of have like a little dowel rod, you know, just like a little stick and the pot is, you know, wobbling on top of that stick. But as you develop your practice more and more, this becomes a wider and wider stand and now it's harder and harder to tip over the pot. It's harder and harder for the mind to become discontent when you're training your mind in meditation. Here's some words from the Buddha where he's talking about this priority of breathing mindfulness meditation and he's talking about where this meditation leads to. He says, monks, there is one thing that, when developed and cultivated, leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge or experience, to enlightenment, to nibbana. What is that one thing? Mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation. That is that one thing that, when developed and cultivated, leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge or experience, to enlightenment, to nibbana. So he's not saying you only need one thing in order to get to enlightenment. Otherwise, he would have just taught meditation and that's it. But his teachings are in 45 large volumes of books that are probably about six inches thick or maybe 10 centimeters or so, right? Or or 15 centimeters. So he's not saying you just need one thing in order to get to enlightenment. He's saying that this meditation, a breathing mindfulness meditation, it leads to one thing. There's only one purpose for this breathing mindfulness meditation. That is to get you to enlightenment. So it's kind of like your car leads to one thing. What is that one thing that your car leads to? It leads to transportation. That's what it leads to. It can take you from point A to point B, right? So meditation, in terms of this breathing mindfulness meditation, it leads to just one thing, which is the elimination of these strong feelings, to peace, to enlightenment. And that's why it's such a priority. In terms of each individual meditation and what you actually do in order to conduct these, is with breathing mindfulness meditation, you would like to focus on the breath, either the sound of the breath coming into the nose 
or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the nose. That's where you focus the mind. So you focus the mind on the breath. The breath is the present moment. The mind is going to want to be in the past or it's going to want to be in the future. But you would like to bring the mind into the present moment by focusing on the breath, either the sound or the sensation of the air. That is the present moment. Then when you're in meditation, the mind is going to wander. It's going to go to the past. It's going to go to the future. You're going to have various thoughts and things that are coming up. That's where you cut that off and let it go. And you bring the mind back to the breath. That's helping you to gain discipline over the mind. The mind is like this wild animal. It wants to run around and frolic in the forest. It wants to, you know, just jump around, run around and be this wild animal. And you're like, no, 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 no. Come over here and sit down and be right here in the present moment. So when the mind goes to the past or the future, you have various thoughts. You cut those off and let them go and bring the mind back to the breath. This is giving you the discipline and the control of the mind. Rather than allowing the mind to control you, you're training the mind so that you can actually have this discipline or control over the mind. Your goal here is not to eliminate the actual thoughts, but to train the mind to easily let them go. In meditation, when you're first starting, you might get bombarded with thoughts, or you might have a thought and you might indulge in that thought for a period of time, and then two or three minutes down the road, you realize, oh yeah, that's right, I'm meditating, let me bring the mind back. This is common in the unrelated mind when you're first starting to meditate, that you either get bombarded with thoughts or you indulge in a thought. But over time, you would like to notice those thoughts sooner and sooner and be able to cut them off and let them go easier and easier. This is what you would ultimately like to get to. By the time the mind is enlightened, you're going to still have thoughts during meditation, but there's going to be this space between the thoughts. There's going to be some peacefulness and joy that's in the mind. The mind's going to be completely peaceful and completely joyful, but your mind will be quieted and stilled. In the unenlightened state, the mind is oftentimes bombarded or you indulge in the thought. But by the time you train your mind to get to enlightenment, there'll still be thoughts, but they'll just be one thought. And then you'll notice it and you'll be able to cut it off and let it go and bring the mind back to the breath. And then there'll be some peacefulness and joy there in the mind that's just always present. And then when the mind is moving off the breath, you'll notice it. So rather than being bombarded with thoughts, or just a thought. And then you notice it, you cut it off and bring the mind back to the breath. So you're not trying to eliminate your thoughts. As long as you're alive, you're going to have thoughts. But you would like to notice them sooner and sooner and be able to more easily cut them off and bring the mind back to the breath. This is going to help you to develop the right mindfulness or awareness of mind, specifically the four foundations of mindfulness, and to develop the concentration or the singleness of mind, training the mind to let go so that you can eliminate the craving, desire, attachment. So that now in daily life, when you're at the mall or you're in a phone call or you're in a business meeting or something like this, and you're practicing mindfulness and awareness of mind, and you see the mind craving, and you see the mind longing, you see the minds moving out of the present moment, you can cut that off and let it go. So if you're in a business meeting and you're supposed to be focusing there in order to contribute to the project, and your mind's wandering, this is not going to be helpful for you. This isn't going to be beneficial. So that's why you cut it off and bring the mind back to the business meeting, into the present moment. And when you do this more and more, the mind will just stay there. Your mind won't wander any longer. 
Or if you're in the mall and you notice the new pair of shoes in the window and you're so excited, you want to get this pair of shoes so badly and you feel the craving and the longing, the yearning, and you know that happiness is impermanent. It's just going to ultimately end up in the frustration or some other painful feeling. When you notice with mindfulness that your mind's craving and longing and yearning, you can pull it back. You can bring it back and say, no, 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 no. I've got 30 pairs of shoes at home. What do I need one more pair of shoes for? Let me restrain the mind and bring it back. So you can do this if you've been practicing in meditation. So in breathing mindfulness meditation, we're cutting off anything that arises, whether it's a wholesome thought or whether it's an unwholesome thought, because you're trying to gain discipline of the mind and control of the mind. But in daily life, you're only cutting off the unwholesome thoughts. If you have a wholesome thought in daily life, like you like to take your mom to dinner or lunch, you like to go to the movies with your friends or something like this, then go forward if that's what you would like to do. That's a wholesome thing. So in daily life, you're only cutting off the unwholesome thoughts. This is very similar to what a professional athlete does. If there's a professional athlete, they're going to perform a certain sport, but then they're going to exercise and train in a completely different way oftentimes than what they're doing in their sport. So if I'm a professional pole vaulter, I might go in the gym and do weight training, cardiovascular training, agility training, but then that training in the gym and my exercise is going to be completely different than what I'm doing in the sport, which is pole vaulting. So if you're training in meditation, you're training in one way, but then you're practicing in daily life a different way. So in meditation, you're training the mind to cut off anything that arises, because not because you're trying to eliminate the thoughts, but because you're trying to train the mind to easily let them go to notice them when they're occurring and to easily let them go. And then in daily life, you're only cutting off the unwholesome thoughts that might arise. So this is the breathing mindfulness meditation. You would like to develop this for about four to six weeks. And then after you're proficient with this, again, you haven't mastered it yet, but you're at least have a continuous consistent ability to do this and you know how to do it using the guidance that I share in the various guided meditations then you might move into loving kindness meditation after about four to six weeks. So loving kindness meditation is here to help you eliminate the anger, hatred, ill will, and all those lesser versions like frustration, irritation, annoyance, and things like this. So the way that we do loving kindness meditation is we ease into it with some breathing mindfulness meditation for about five or 10 minutes or so. Then once you get into the loving kindness meditation, you've already had awareness of the mind, you've already got some awareness of the breath, and on the out breath, you would like to then train the mind to say these affirmations where you say, may I be peaceful, or may I be safe, may I be well, may I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. So you do this on the out breath and you're gonna do it very slowly. So as you breathe in, you take a nice deep breath and then on the way out, may I be peaceful, right? And then you breathe in nice and gradually and then on the way out, may I be safe. And you go through these four affirmations. This is gonna help you to cultivate loving kindness for you, for this being who you are now. Because oftentimes an individual might have negative self-talk in the mind. You might have diminishing and degrading thoughts where you don't have loving kindness for yourself. So you would like to cultivate this active goodwill, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well for this being who you are now. So you start with I. 
Then you construct this meditation where you customize these various rings, about six to eight different rings, where you're gonna include people that you maybe currently have loving kindness for. You're gonna include a couple of rings for people that you're more neutral about, maybe like a neighbor or a coworker. But then you include some individuals who you do have anger for, you do have hatred for, and you might even use their name. You might say, may Bob be peaceful, right? May Bob be well so forth and so on. Or maybe a group of individuals. Maybe if you despise police officers or politicians or lawyers or mechanics or electricians or any individual, or maybe a certain race or certain ethnicity or a certain sexual orientation. If you have anger, hatred, ill will, or any of those lesser versions for any individual or any group of individuals, you would like to include them in your meditation so you can wear away the anger, hatred, and ill will that you have for them. And then ultimately, after you've done your six to eight rings, you would like your very last ring to be all beings, where you haven't left anybody out whatsoever, that you're fully cultivating the mind to have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, or loving kindness for all beings, that you haven't left anyone out whatsoever. So what you're essentially doing in this meditation with these affirmations is you're rewiring the mind. You're wiring the mind to no longer experience this anger, hatred, ill will, because that's the way that the mind is wired now, that if somebody does something that you disagree with, you might become angered or frustrated or agitated, and you go down this well-worn path of anger, hatred, and ill will. The grass is worn out, the bushes are pushed back, the stickers are pushed back, and you know where this path leads. It leads to broken relationships. And if you keep going down this path where you're bitter, harsh, and hostile to people, then you're gonna have fewer and fewer individuals that you can spend time with in the world. So what you would like to do is get out your machete and you would like to forge this new path where you're breaking down the bushes and the stickers and you're creating this new path for yourself, which is this loving kindness. And this is why it's going to be a bit of a challenge and maybe even a struggle at different times because you've pushed people away out of your life and you've put this wall between you and them. And it's very hard to break through that. But the more that you break through and create this new path with your machete, training your mind with meditation, doing this loving kindness affirmations, this old path will get overgrown. And eventually you get to the point where it's impossible for your mind to be angry. By the time you get to enlightenment, an enlightened being will not feel any anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance. There's not even the slightest displeasure in the enlightened mind that you don't even have a bad mood anymore because you've trained the mind and you've essentially rewired it. Where as long as you allow your mind to continue to stay wired with anger, hatred, and ill will, that you're going to keep going down that path. So you would like to break that up and now go down this new path where you can practice loving kindness with all beings through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. So you do this in meditation like you're filling up your gas tank and now you go out into the world and you practice being loving and kind through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. So out of your two or three meditations per day, if you make the morning meditation loving kindness, this will kind of set up your mind that now the relationships and the conversations that you have throughout your day, you can be practicing loving kindness. In reality, you can do this however you like, but a suggestion that you might consider is doing loving kindness meditation in the morning. 
So out of those two or three sessions, you would like at least one of them to be loving kindness. And the morning is an ideal place to do this. But that doesn't mean you can't do it in the middle of the day or in the evening as well. You could do it then as well, particularly if you're noticing a lot of anger coming up, you might do two or three loving kindness meditation sessions for a period of time. As you're training your mind in loving kindness meditation to wear away this anger, hatred, and ill will, you're not going to know how much anger, hatred, or ill will that you wear away each individual day. But when it's completely gone, you're going to know that because it'll be one year, two years, three years where you haven't experienced any anger whatsoever. It's kind of like a digging tool. If you had a digging tool with a wooden handle and you are now digging with this wooden handle, with this digging tool, each day you're wearing wood away from that handle. You're not going to know how much wood you wear away from the handle each day. But when the handle's completely exhausted and you can't use it anymore, you'll know that. It's time to actually replace this handle because you've completely worn away the wood. But each day you're not going to know how much wood you wear away from the handle each day. And this anger, hatred, and ill will is the same way. You're not going to know how much of it you wear away each day through your loving kindness meditation. But when it's completely gone and you're no longer angry and hateful, and it's been one year, two years, three years, and you're experiencing that, you'll know that it's completely gone. So you're going to need to build the diligence, the determination, the dedication to be consistent with your meditation. Of course, you're going to miss meditation here and there. It's impermanent. But your enlightenment isn't going to be determined whether you miss meditation today or not. Your enlightenment is going to be determined that if you miss meditation today, what do you do next? Do you allow that to become three months or three years or 30 years that you haven't been meditating? Or do you recognize, okay, wow, I missed meditation today. Okay, let me get right back on that. Let me start meditating again. So if you can consistently meditate over a long-term period, three years, five years, six years, this is what's actually going to help you to be able to be consistent with your meditation and ultimately train your mind to get to enlightenment, realizing that you're going to miss meditation here and there on occasion. So this is loving kindness meditation. Let me pause here and see if there's any questions before we go into talking about meditation to eliminate sexual cravings and meditation to realize non-self. You can put your questions into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Okay, we have some questions coming in on Facebook. Here we have a question from Amina. She says, good day, a question please. While we are cultivating quiet and peaceful qualities in meditation and then go out in the world that can be chaotic and loud at times, how can we recapture that peace from meditation? Or is that expectation incorrect and best to let go? So ultimately, you will be able to be peaceful and joyful regardless of what's happening. But once the discontentedness has arisen, that's because a certain craving has been triggered. So if you go out into the world and there's this chaotic thing going on and you're noticing the mind becoming frustrated, that's because a craving has arisen. So since you know that there's a craving that caused that, then you look at, well, what is the meditation that I can do in order to eliminate the craving? Well, breathing mindfulness meditation. This is where some people refer to the Buddha like a doctor, that there are certain symptoms that you experience in the mind, and then there's a certain prescription that gets prescribed. So if you notice that the symptoms of discontentedness has arisen, 
then you know that it's craving, desire, attachment that's caused it. You can see that with wisdom and independently verify it. Then you implement the tool or the technique, which is breathing mindfulness meditation. You can do that to eliminate that discontentedness. And if you've been meditating consistently as you have, Amina, you should be able to eliminate that on the spot. That's what the Buddha talks about, that if you've accumulated enough benefits in your meditation, that now if you meditate for a period of five minutes, even 10 minutes, just a little touch-up meditation, you should be able to eliminate that discontentedness. But then conversely, if you're going out into the world and you notice the anger or the frustration arising, then you would like to potentially invoke breathing mindfulness meditation for a couple of minutes and then bring in the loving kindness meditation. That's what's going to knock down the anger. So if you can see the wisdom in the symptom, in the prescription, then you can invoke whatever prescription you need at any given time. So that's how you would do it. And then in terms of things that aren't meditation, where you're noticing that frustration arising or any other discontentedness, that's where you practice right mindfulness to be aware of the mind. And when you notice those bodily sensations, you try to cut off and let go before the mind ever experiences the feeling of anger or frustration or some other stress or anxiety or guilt or shame or boredom or loneliness. So if you're consistently meditating, you should be able to develop the qualities of mind that you can notice any discontentedness arising sooner and sooner as just a bodily sensation and then cut it off before it ever becomes a feeling. That would save your mind the whole trouble of needing to experience that feeling. But if you need the meditation once it has become the feeling, then use the meditation on the spot. You know, do a little touch up if that's what you need to do. There were times where I'd be out and about in the world and I'd need to go off in a corner somewhere and meditate for five or 10 minutes or so and then come back to whatever it is that I was doing. Sometimes I would just excuse myself and go to the bathroom. And sometimes I would just meditate in the bathroom if I was in a work environment. I would sit on the toilet with my clothes on and sit there and meditate for a little period of time. Or if I was here at a temple, perhaps, I might have stepped away from a certain conversation and gone and found a quiet corner in the temple and meditated for five minutes or so and then came back once the mind was in a better condition. So you can do those kinds of things as well. Biplop is asking a question, Sir, what is meaning of mindfulness of contemplation body as body? This is where the Buddha is introducing to you the four foundations of mindfulness. He talks about body as body, feelings as feelings, mind as mind, and mental objects as mental objects. This is what you're developing in breathing mindfulness meditation to have awareness of the bodily sensations that are occurring before the mind becomes discontent. You would like to be able to be aware of those sooner and sooner because if you don't cut it off as a bodily sensation, then it's going to become a feeling in the mind like anger, frustration, or guilt, or shame, or boredom, or loneliness. And if you don't cut it off there as a feeling, it's going to affect the condition of the mind for a couple of hours, or a couple of days, or a week or two. And then it's going to feed the mental object. These are the four foundations of mindfulness. So if you keep allowing the mind to experience conditioned feelings, then your mind's continuing to stay wired to experience those conditioned feelings. So you would like to get all the way to the point where you're noticing it as a bodily sensation and you can cut it off and let it go there. You're not allowing the mind to get those conditioned feelings. This is rewiring the mind. You're breaking that up. So when the Buddha is talking about body as body, he's talking about becoming aware or having mindfulness 
having the mind be aware that these bodily sensations are occurring. So before you get angry, you might get some tightening of the chest or around the heart, or you might get tingling in the chest, or your throat might tighten up, or you might feel heat in the face or pressure in the skull. These are all bodily sensations associated with anger or frustration. Or with shyness, you might get a queasiness in the stomach, right? And there's other bodily sensations with those conditioned pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and neither painful nor pleasant. And you would like to train the mind to be aware of those bodily sensations and cut them off sooner and sooner so that you can gain control and discipline of the mind, not allowing it to form a conditioned feeling. Mayuli in Facebook is asking, during loving kindness meditation, the last ring for all beings, I'm sending loving kindness to all the five realms. I also envision all the five realms. Is this okay? Sure, you can meditate in doing loving kindness to cultivate loving kindness for all five realms of hell, animal, afflicted spirit, human realm, and heavenly realm. That's all beings. But don't think of it as you're sending loving kindness. This isn't actually possible. Instead, what you're doing is you're internally cultivating the loving kindness within your own mind so that if you come in contact with any of these beings, that you can be loving and kind in those situations. Whereas if you have anger, hatred, or ill will in the mind, then when you come in contact with any beings in any of these realms, that would come out through your intention, speech, and actions. So we're not trying to change other people or other beings in our loving kindness meditation by sending loving kindness to them. Instead, you're cultivating it within your own mind so that you're like filling up the gas tank so that when you're around these beings, you can then reside with loving kindness, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And then Mayuli has some additional things here. She says, my go-to meditation position is seated, but essentially as long as your mind is fixated to the breath, you can be in a position outside the four positions you described. Is this correct? For example, in an inversion upside down position, I sometimes transition to the four position in inversion to help extend the meditation. So you could meditate in other positions, like an inverse position. Like I know my wife, she hangs herself upside down doing yoga and other training and stuff like that. I've never tried to do it that way, but there's no reason why you couldn't meditate from that position. But the Buddha taught these four positions, seated, lying, standing, and walking, because those are ones that everybody can access. Not everybody's going to be able to hang themselves upside down from you know some kind of device or some kind of tree. But among these four positions, you should be able to find one at any given time that can be helpful for you. There was a period of time where I couldn't do seated meditation. And I had to do lying meditation because my legs weren't able to be crossed. I couldn't even sit. I had to lie in a bed due to an accident that I had. So I would encourage you to work on those four positions of seated, lying, standing, and walking and get comfortable with those. And then if you try to meditate in some of these other positions, sure, you know, go for it. But always remember that it's a dedicated, active, purposeful training session where you're eliminating certain unwholesome qualities and you're arising certain wholesome qualities. It's not truly about the body positioning. The body positioning is there because you're going to need these different positions at different times. It's all about training the mind. So the position that the body is in really doesn't truly matter 100% because the Buddha just provided these four because you can't permanently be in one particular position 
throughout your entire life. You're going to need these different positions at different times as you experience impermanence in the physical body. So if you cultivate other positions like being inverted, then sure, you know, if that's what you'd like to do, go for it. But it's these four that you would like to be sure that you have those four. Amina is asking something else here, I think. She says, thanks so much for these wise words, paying close attention to the bodily sensations as they arise, use right effort, tune up meditations, all great guidance. And the last one is a new practice not previously considered that can surely be helpful in the moment. Grazie. I think that's Italian. Okay. So I think that's all of our questions on Facebook for now. And I don't see any on YouTube right now. So let me go ahead and share with you guys the other two meditations that I'm planning to teach you guys as part of understanding these four meditations that the Buddha taught. I'm about to change visual aids here. I'm going to change to a new slide. And this particular slide has a dead corpse, which is dissected. So I'm just kind of making you aware of that, that if you have a queasy stomach or you have some cravings in there that are going to produce discontent feelings, if you would like to look at this, this is actually really helpful for you to eliminate that craving desire attachment. But if you're not interested in looking at it, you might blank your screen or look away as I change the slide here. So there's this meditation to eliminate sexual cravings. This is where the Buddha was saying the perception of unattractiveness should be developed to abandon lust. During the lifetime of the Buddha, they used the 32-part body meditation because they didn't have photos and things like this like we have nowadays. So they would envision each individual body part, like the gallbladder, the lungs, the heart, the liver, the things like this. And they would envision those and visualize them in the mind. And this is how they develop the unattractiveness of the body, is breaking it down into bits and pieces to be able to see true reality of the body. They would even look at dead corpse that during the Buddha's lifetime, there would be a dead corpse that would be brought in and it was going to be burned or cremated. And it would sit there for a couple of days before they actually built the fire and actually burned it. And then as it was being burned, they would also meditate and they would even smell this dead body. And it would help to turn the mind away from seeing the body as something that is attractive. Because one of the reasons why we have the interest to have sexual contact is that we see the body as being attractive. And we do all kinds of things to the body to make it attractive. We do things with the hair. We do things with jewelry, with clothing, with makeup, and all these different things to make the body attractive. And we put on different clothing. We even have certain hygiene practices. And I'm not saying these things are unwise or they shouldn't be done. But these are the things that we do in order to make the body look attractive so that somebody would be interested to come and have sex. Well, if you're looking to reduce your sexual cravings, maybe bring it down to just one partner, or if you're looking to completely eliminate sexual cravings 100%, there's this meditation that you can do, either the 32-part body meditation or looking at a corpse. Nowadays, what we tend to do is use these photos because it's not readily available for most people to go sit by a corpse and actually meditate. So these pictures are a way that you can actually do that. So if you download a picture off the internet or if you go to a anatomy lab where there's some places that you can go 
and you can actually spend like 10, 15, 20 dollars and you can go in and see dead bodies that have been donated to science. This can actually help you to see the unattractiveness of the body. And the way that you do this meditation is you either do seated, lying, standing, or whatever position you'd like, and you keep your eyes open and you look at this image and you just kind of imprint this image into the mind, starting to see the body as unattractive. And now this will help to reduce your sexual cravings where you don't see the body as being attractive and that this is something that you find pleasure in. Because if you saw somebody that had their skin ripped off their body and they were like, okay, you can have sex with this, you probably wouldn't have sex with a body that didn't have the skin. But because of that outer shell and that we do see the body as attractive, we tend to move in that direction where we're interested to have sexual contact. There's that central desire in the mind. There's the longing and yearning through the sense bases where the mind wants to be pleased and have the pleasant contact through the sense bases. So you can train your mind to no longer see the body as attractive, to either reduce or completely eliminate your sexual cravings. And the reason why you would be interested in eliminating your sexual cravings is that sexual contact is not permanent that as you get sexual contact and you're able to have intimacy, you'll have pleasant feelings. But then there's going to be some times where you can't have sexual contact and you'll be agitated, you'll be annoyed, you'll be frustrated. So you can get to the second stage of enlightenment and still be maintaining a sexual contact with your partner in a sexual relationship. But in order to get to the third and fourth stage of enlightenment, you're going to need to ultimately eliminate sexual contact because You can do all the other work on the path to enlightenment. You can be doing all the significant work that the Buddha teaches, like eliminating the ego and all that other things that you've heard me talk about and that you will hear me talk about as part of this group learning program. And you can still be maintaining your sexual relationship. So let's just say you do all the other work on the path to enlightenment, but you still have this sensual desire in your mind where you want sexual contact. You're gonna be in the second stage of enlightenment And although your entire life is peaceful and joyful and you experience a lot of peace and joy in the mind, there's going to be occasions where you want to have sex and you can't get sex. And now you're going to be agitated, you're going to be irritated, you're going to be annoyed. So your mind isn't experiencing that permanent peace and that permanent joy. So you could hang out there in that second stage of enlightenment for a period of time, however long you want, however many years that you would like. There's nobody that's going to force you to eliminate sexual contact. There's no one that's going to try to convince you to do that or otherwise put pressure on you to do that. But if at some point you're either looking to reduce your sexual cravings or completely eliminate them, this is the meditation that you could do. And I usually introduce this to people on a case-by-case basis. Maybe they're having challenges with pornography or masturbation, or maybe they have five or six or 10 different sexual partners and they're trying to bring that down to one or they're trying to eliminate sexual contact 100%. This is the meditation that'll help you do that. Then there's a meditation to help you realize non-self, that the steps of meditating, I'm sorry, the steps of eliminating the personal existence view to realize non-self can involve meditation. But first, you would need to understand what personal existence view is, that fetter, that pollution or taint then you would need to learn the solution, which is the universal truth of non-self. And oftentimes this takes multiple conversations for a student to understand this. And then you're gonna potentially need this meditation to help you to realize 
that the body, the mind is not you, that it's not who you are. And then with the understanding and learning of personal existence view, the universal truth of non-self, by practicing this meditation, and now in daily life, whenever the personal existence view is arising, you cut that off and let it go, you can get to the point where you fully realize non-self, where you realize there is no self, and you've eliminated personal existence view. So the way that you do this meditation is you do breathing mindfulness meditation where you're focused on the breath, and you do this very similarly to loving kindness, where on the out breath, you think, I am not the body. And you repeat that multiple times. I am not the body. I am not the body. I am not the body. You do that on the out breath. And then the same thing. I am not the mind. I am not the mind. I am not the mind. There is no self. There is no self. There is no self. I do not exist. I do not exist. I do not exist. And then you finish it up with, I am not the body. I am not the mind. There is no self. I do not exist. And you repeat this over and over and over again in the mind so that you get to the point where you've realized non-self. And it takes multiple sessions and all that other learning and all that other practice to be able to get to this point. You wouldn't be able to just go in right now at the very beginning of the path and eliminate this. The breathing mindfulness meditation is there to kind of soften up the mind and train the mind to let go. This is something that you approach as you start getting into the jhanas and you start experiencing those improved qualities of mind. This is something that you might decide to start doing after you've already done all the other foundational work and the mind's ready to start letting this go. So this isn't something that you do right from the beginning. And this is a specialized meditation that you would need in order to help you to realize non-self. But you can actually realize non-self without this meditation too. It's not required that you do this. There's other work that you can be doing to realize non-self. And it starts with understanding what personal existence view is, that fetter or pollution helps you to understand the solution, which is the universal truth of non-self. And then whenever you're noticing that the mind is becoming agitated or annoyed or frustrated or any other discontent feeling, even pleasant feelings related to the self-image or the self-identity, you cut that off and let it go. You restrain the mind in daily life. And it's this meditation that's going to help you to get ahead of the curve to be able to accomplish that. So these are the four meditations that the Buddha taught. And I've just introduced them to you and kind of helped you to understand how to use them and what you're eliminating and what you're cultivating. So this is like a summary slide to help you see the unwholesome qualities that you're eliminating and the wholesome qualities that you're cultivating. And then the last thing I'll share before I open up to any and all questions that you guys might have is that it's important to never, ever, ever give up on your meditation practice. That if you've seen the truth through the Four Noble Truths and you realize that your mind is causing your own discontentedness, if you understand that your mind is causing your own discontentedness and then you started developing your practice and you give up, it means that you're relegating yourself to the rest of this life being angry and frustrated and irritated. I don't suggest that you ever give up on your meditation practice. There was a period of time where I went three years without meditating. It was one of the worst three years that I've ever experienced, but ultimately I got back into meditation and I started training my mind again. I thought I had given up, but ultimately I hadn't given up. But if you ever notice that that's the case, that you have felt like you've given up, 
try to get back into meditation. Even if it's been a year or two years or three years that you haven't meditated, try to get back into it. But if you can catch it sooner rather than later, it's easier to get back into meditation. When I started getting back into meditation after three years, it was really challenging. Whereas if I would have caught it like within the first couple of days or the first couple of weeks, it would have been a lot easier to get back into the meditation because it would be more fresh in the mind. So I encourage students to never ever give up on their meditation practice. No matter how much struggles or how much challenges you experience in life, Continue to stay dedicated, determined, and diligent to develop your meditation practice. The Buddha shared words along these same lines as well. He shared, meditate, monks. Do not be complacent, lest you regret it later. This is my instruction to you. So what he's saying here is if you allow the mind to become complacent and you don't meditate, you're going to regret it later. When you're angry, when you're frustrated, when you're having difficulties in your relationships, you're going to regret it later. So this is the Buddha encouraging you to stay consistent and dedicated and determined in your meditation practice. And these are some of the words that he shared during his lifetime. So if you would like to eliminate this anger and bitterness and hostility, the boredom, the loneliness, the guilt, the shame, the fear, the stress, the anxiety, those displeasure. It's your meditation practice that's going to really help propel you in practicing to get to the point where you eliminate those discontent feelings. But remember, you can't meditate your way to enlightenment. You're going to need other teachings. But you also wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation either. So you'll need to develop this practice. And as you guys have questions, you're always welcome to reach out to me through asking questions in a class like this. You can post questions in the Facebook group. You can send me private messages and you can even schedule personal guidance and I will help you to develop your meditation practice. So let me know if you guys have any questions. I'll help you. You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Okay, we have some questions here in YouTube. Dear David, I'm coming to Thailand December to study Buddhism and meditation more in depth. Do you have any info or links regarding accommodations and temples, etc., to stay in an environment like this? I know there's plenty of temples around that have the ability for you to stay in them. I haven't been to any of those temples to stay myself, but if I was you, I would look on the internet that here in Chiang Mai, I know there's places like Wat Umong that you can go to and stay, and there's other places around, but I don't have any firsthand knowledge on those places because I've never stayed there myself. So you could probably find some different recommendations and stuff on the internet. And if you'd like to study at the temple where I teach, I teach in the city, and there's all kinds of hotels and hostels and guest houses right there all around the temple. So you could easily stay there and then come into the temple each day and learn with me if you like because I'm teaching classes throughout the month on Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesdays. And I also have various courses and retreats Monday through Friday that you can see on our website, buddhadailywisdom.com. And I'd be pleased to help you to learn through any of our classes, courses, or retreats. Or if you're even interested in having personal guidance while you're here in Thailand, you can also reach out and I will meet with you privately and I will help you that way as well. But in terms of what other temples are doing, I'm not sure because I haven't stayed at those places myself and I don't have direct experience. I see your thank you there, Bitblob. You're very welcome. Pleased to help all of you guys. All right, I don't see any other questions anywhere. So what I'll do then is just in class, the way I typically do by thanking all of you for joining. 
Thank you for your dedication to learning and practicing the teachings of the Buddha to make your way to enlightenment because this is helping you. It's helping those close to you and it's helping all of humanity because as you train your mind to become more peaceful and more loving, practicing harmlessness, you're putting less and less harm out in the world. So it's helping you, it's helping those close to you, and it's helping all of humanity become a more loving and kind and gentle place to exist. The next class on Sunday is going to be chapter 12 of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. You can download this from our website at buddhadailywisdom.com. You can also print that if you like, or you can acquire printed versions on Amazon, or you can get them at the temple if you like. So if you'd like to read that chapter before and or after class, you can do that. Even this chapter 11, if you haven't read it yet, you can read this because I go through in detail and explain to you meditation. And you can be gradually, slowly reading this book along with this program, which is a seven-month program where each Sunday I'm helping you to learn chapter by chapter. So next Sunday we're going to be in chapter 12, which is titled, Craving is the Problem, What is the Solution? So you're going to be learning that as part of our class. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to be doing a loving kindness meditation with you as a guided meditation to help you learn how to do this. I'm rotating on Wednesdays now. Each Wednesday, I'm either doing guided breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation. So you can join these classes on Sunday and Wednesday for the group learning program at 9 a.m. Thai time or 9 p.m. Thai time. At 9 a.m., I live stream from our temple and I teach there at the temple so you can join at the temple or you can join through the live stream or on zoom and then at 9 p.m. I do it from here at home so no matter what time zone you're in there should be a live class available for you and in a situation where you can't attend the live class for whatever reason due to impermanence then you can watch the recording either in YouTube or Facebook or on the podcast so thank you all for joining for today's class Perhaps we'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.